It is you who works in us both to will and to act according to your uh, good purpose and pleasure. Thank you for the gift of your indwelling Holy Spirit, your own presence who within us uh, shapes and, and molds and, and, and basically uh, changes us into the image of Christ. Empower us then to look, sound, act, and emote more and more like you, Lord Jesus. You are the perfect one that we want to aim towards and share some of your qualities. Would you equip Mercy Hill Church family uh, give us the, the diligence we need, the stability that we need, and the grace that we need in order to grow. Help me to speak your words today, not my own. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Invite Arnell to come forward and read our today uh, today's scripture for us. Our uh, scripture reading we have found in, um, in the book of Second uh, Peter. Chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for this, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them understand uh, that hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the others, uh, as do they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this uh, beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Thank you very much, Arnell. Today is actually the final installment in this summer sermon series on Second Peter. It's all about God's grace transforms. And in looking at today's passage that Arnell read, the main theme that we actually see there, in my view, is grow. Grow. Let's talk about growth and how it occurs in human beings. If you look at human beings, we grow physically. It's really amazing the, the amount of transformation that occurs from when you were just a tiny, cute little baby, boy or girl, to now who you are 18 years later. In fact, here's an illustration. We're a little bit early for that one. Not quite that. There it is. There's the, there's the amazing transformation that occurs. You are multiple times bigger than you once were. And so that's just kind of how... It goes. In, in addition to your physical body, your brain grows, everything just kind of grows bigger. And there are a couple of parts of the human body. You may have guessed based on the illustration that you just saw. There's a couple of parts, human body parts, that never stop growing until death. And that happens to be, next slide, your ears and your nose. They keep on growing. Okay, they keep, it's, it's really not helpful. If you're like me, you start out with big ears and a big nose to begin with. Basically, you look like a Pinocchio-Dumbo sort of combination. And so this is kind of depressing 
actually. So with that information, I'm just encouraging you with the fact that your ears and your nose never stop growing, okay? Um, and so we grow physically. That's what I'm trying to say. And you're almost unrecognizable from the little baby that you once were to now who you are as an adult. You're perhaps not as cute as you once were. Maybe you think you are, but you're probably not as cute as you once were when you were a little tiny baby. Um, now, there's other ways in which we grow, not just physically, but we also grow in other ways. In fact, I found one article on the internet uh, from lifehack.org. Lifehack.org. You might know this uh, website. And there's an article entitled, Never Stop Growing, Never Stop Learning. And really, what it's all about is you growing intellectually. So never, never allow yourself to get into a rut. I like the, the, the moniker, never settle. You ever heard that? I think it's OnePlus is a phone company, and they use that as their mantra, never settle. But I like that idea, never settle. Never be satisfied with the status quo. Never be satisfied with your current intellectual capacity. You need to be growing intellectually. And here are some of the things that this article suggests that you should do in order to expand your intellect and keep on moving forward, expand your brain power. They would say things as, such as surround yourself with achievers. Turn off the TV. By the way, does anyone watch a TV? Do we even call them TVs anymore? I don't know. But there's, that's what they would say. Turn off the TV. Find a mentor. Be a mentor. Meet interesting people. Create something. All of these, I would argue, are pretty good ideas for expanding and growing with your intellect. But let me submit to you, there actually is something even more important than our physical growth, our intellectual growth. That would be our spiritual growth. And it tends to be more long-term, much deeper, more lasting. It's at the center of who you are, and that's really where you want to grow. And that's what the New Testament is all about. You, if you're trusting in Christ, you are to grow in Christ. You are to image His likeness more and more. You are to, we are to uh, reflect the character of Jesus in our integrity, in our character. And this is the person that we are aiming for to be like. And this is the greatest person in the universe. This is the God-man Jesus. There is no one more beautiful, more perfect, more wise, more loving than Jesus. And so, of course, we've got to aim to be more and more like him. He's the greatest one of all. He is God. And so from our passage, there are three ways for us to grow spiritually that Peter tells not just individually as people, as myself or yourself, but he wants us and encourages us to grow in as a church family. I liked how Bev uh, talked about, she said, hello, good morning, family, something along those lines. That's what we are, brothers and sisters in Christ. That may scare you, by the way. You're looking around. I don't want these people in my family, but we are family, whether you want them in your family. or That's how families work. You're kind of stuck with the siblings you got. You might not like them, but you love them. Uh, but anyhow, we are to grow in three ways as a church-wide family. We are to grow in diligence. We are to grow in stability. And lastly, we are to grow in grace. And we're going to unpack each of these three aspects that we see in our passage today. And these are aspects of growth in Christ. And so here's the first one. Number one in your notes, if you're following along with that sermon outline in your bulletin, is simply to grow in diligence. To grow in diligence. Now, what in the world is diligence? What is the biblical definition? Here it is. The biblical de definition of be diligent, which is the phrase we see in our passage, is to strive earnestly, zealously. That's with passion. To labor. It's like passionate labor. Passionate effort is what 
being diligent is all about. And so when it comes to Christ and our spiritual growth, we are to grow in our our striving, our, our passion, our zeal for Christ, zeal for his mission, passion for his mission. We are to grow in how we labor for the gospel, how we labor to love our church family in our effort to live for Christ and serve our church. Now, where does this idea of growing in diligence come, comes from in our passage? It comes, comes from verse 14. This is where Peter tells indirectly Mercy Hill Church, he's telling us indirectly these words, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, that being eternal life, new heavens, new earth, with God and his people forever, since you're waiting for that hope, he says, be diligent. There it is. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Notice that he instructs us to be diligent in two key areas. Do you see those two areas in that verse? We are to be diligent um, without, in our desire for holiness without spot or blemish. And secondly, we are to be diligent in our being at peace with one another in our church family. So let's begin initially with that idea of being diligent in our holiness um, and how we increasingly desire to reflect Jesus in our lives. Let me share with you one idea, and I read this from one commentator. I think his name is Michael Green, and he came up with this phrase, simply three words, hope produces holiness. Think about that. Hope produces holiness. It's the byproduct of our hope. And so as we're waiting, pining for the new heavens, for new earth, for eternal life with God and for, with his people, this is a good place to be, by the way. We're aiming for a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more disease, none of that stuff. And the more that we set our minds on our hope in Christ, on, the, on this future that we are all driving towards, the more we change. So the more we focus on our hope, the more you and I change. The more we desire to change, because we know it's like reverse engineering. If that's where we're ending up in Christ, let's just reverse engineer back to then living an increasingly holy life that reflects Christ. just kind of makes sense. Now, one of the biographies, let me try to illustrate this somewhat. I used to be a biography junkie, which is basically you read a book. Uh, <laughs> we don't read books as often as we used to, do, do we? At least not physical books. I know I've become a Kindle junkie. But anyhow, I used to read a lot of biographies, and I got addicted to them when I was a younger man because you can learn a lot from the mistakes other people make, and so you don't try to replicate their mistakes. But there were a few biographies that I've read of former missionaries who were put away in prison for sometimes years at a time. I've read biographies of uh, prisoners of war who were locked in prison camps. Um, and then I've read bi some biographies that described how the Jews suffered horrifically under the Nazi regime and were put in death camps and all the rest. Now, um, there was a common theme that I learned and I picked up on in these people who were put in prison for many, many years or in death camps or uh, POW camps for many, many years. Those who were able to maintain an unselfish focus, those who were able to, to maintain a hopeful focus and a positive outlook while in prison, those who were able to treat their fellow prisoners well and unselfishly and with respect and with love, what was that common denominator that these uh, prisoners of integrity had? It was that they kept hope. They kept hope. They confidently anticipated, even though not all of them actually made it out alive, but they confidently anticipated, I am going to get out of here. Things will get better. No matter how bad things are right now and how hopeless it appears to be, 
there actually is hope. And so therefore, because I have hope, because I know with confidence I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to serve my fellow prisoner, I'm going to devote my life to making better, life better for them, I'm not going to dwell in self-pity, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself and just resign myself to dying. No, I will keep hope. And those are the people who treated others better and had a positive outlook in the most dire circumstances. You see, that is how hope produces holiness. Hope produces holiness. Mercy Hill Church, we are waiting for better days. We are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. If you are trusting in Christ, that's the hope that you have in Christ. And we are waiting, and hopefully we're waiting patiently. Some days I'm just like, could we hurry it up a little bit here, Jesus? I mean, it, you know, that'd be kind of nice because I'm really annoyed with life sometimes. And but we're waiting, hopefully patient, more patiently than I am. And as we're waiting, we keep hope in front of us. And then therefore, we are motivated to continue to pursue holiness. And we can't do this perfectly. But we keep desiring Jesus to change us in the interim, in this in-between time between now and the end. Holy Spirit, change me today. Change us as a church family. Change us like those changed prisoners kept hope and were therefore transformed in how they treated one another. So we must have diligence. We must diligently keep hope in front of us and zealously, passionately keep that in front of us so that we are increasingly holy or living increasingly holy lives for God's glory. The second way that we must grow in diligence is in terms of this idea of us being at peace with one another, getting along as a church family. And sometimes this doesn't always work well in church life, does it? Sometimes there's problems. But let me illustrate by sharing with you, you know, I'm a, probably a, a fishing addict and I need help. I should join an FA club, I guess. I don't know, fishing addicts. Um, but anyhow, uh, very often, especially during coho season, the, the, I shouldn't be telling you my fishing secret, but the, the hot spot to fish for coho, which is my favorite salmon, is at Fort Langley, the Bedford Channel. Now, if you've ever been at the, the Fort Langley, Bedford Channel, even Fort Langley in general, it is a hot spot of people and fishermen don't like people being around because it disturbs the fish okay but anyhow this is a hot spot and when I fish in the fall at Fort Langley I've noticed there's people doing things on the water in the Bedford Channel you know what they're doing they're paddling they're doing a lot of paddling because that is where the Fort Langley Canoe Club and the rowing club happens to be and one of my favorite boats even though I'm kind of annoyed by it but I actually can appreciate it for for a couple of minutes at least are the hugely long, expansive canoes that they have. And there's like anywhere from 10 to 20 people in these canoes. And they're all, you know, rowing in precision and, and, and in time, all because the person on the back has a drum. And I'd love to do that, just beat a drum. I don't actually have to work. I just beat a drum and keep everyone in time. Now imagine that this canoe is doing its thing there. Imagine there's a couple of people in the middle that are having a little spat. They don't like each other. There's personality conflict. Maybe somebody has gossiped about their poor paddling, whatever it happens to be. And so they're, they're fighting as this canoe is making its way down the river, and it escalates to the point where now they're whacking each other on the heads, or trying to, with their paddles. Now what happens with this canoe when this fight occurs in the middle of the canoe? The canoe, basically everything stops. The canoe goes nowhere. It actually starts going sideways, starts moving around randomly, and starts going with the flow of the river. And so for this canoe to actually move forward again and go the direction that it was headed towards, 
They need to work things out. They need to get along. They need to talk about it. They need to own their own sin, take responsibility for their angry actions, do they not? And so it is with our church team. That's kind of like a church right there. We're trying to go in the direction of the new heavens and the new earth towards Christ, towards the end. And so if for us to get there, we must diligently work hard as a church family to keep peace with each other, to get along. All right, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. We do that every Sunday. And it's a, yes, it's a memorial meal. We're reminded of the cross and his resurrection, all that Christ has done to earn salvation for us. But it's also a meal that we celebrate together, our oneness in Christ, our common faith in Christ. We take this one meal as one church, one body, one blood, one faith, one baptism, on and on it goes. And so we have to protect the peace in our church. All I'm saying with this, let's not be like this chaotic canoe here. Let's get along, and if we can't get along, let's work it out. If someone has sinned against us, let's go to them directly. Try to work it out. All right, ask for forgiveness if need be. Take responsibility. If there's anyone here today, or maybe they're, out, they're not here today, if there's anyone in this church, whether they're here or not here, work it out if you need to work something out. Otherwise, we'll just be this random canoe going nowhere. You see, that's kind of how it works. I'm really off the notes here. Good luck, Darlene. This is Darlene's second uh, Sunday running the slides, so I appreciate your patience with me. That's the first point, grow in diligence. The second point is grow in stability. Grow in stability is the second thing that we see in our passage. And Peter talks about the Apostle Paul is sort of the next thing here. And he kind of name drops Paul. Interestingly, uh, Paul and Peter actually had a bit of a spat themselves. <laughs> if you look at the book of Galatians, Paul describes this spat and actually, Peter was in the wrong. Paul was in the right. But anyhow, it, it, it appears that they worked things out. And now we see Peter actually advocating for these writings that Paul has and basically re relating the writings of Paul to Scripture, which is amazing. They are obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing that Peter mentions about some of Paul's writings, which would be many of the letters in the New Testament, is that sometimes what Paul writes is hard to understand. And one of those hard to understand parts that Paul writes about happens to be something weird called being baptized on behalf of the dead. Sounds weird, doesn't it? We don't practice that in our church. The Mormon church, yes, they do. But it's the only isolated instance where anything like being baptized on behalf of the dead is mentioned. Because it's an isolated instance, we don't make a doctrine around that, okay? But so that could be what Peter has in mind here that's hard to understand. And really, no one knows exactly what Paul was talking about at that time. Um, and so some of those things are hard to understand. But then Peter says, he turns that to, look, there are some people out there in, in, the, in the various churches in Peter's time who were taking those hard-to-understand parts of what Paul was writing about and then twisting them. And they twisted what the Bible said. And that only showed, according to Peter, that they were unstable. They were unstable. They're saying stuff that the Bible does not clearly say. And that results in their destruction, he says. I mean, that's intense. We start tweaking the Bible, twisting what the Bible says. That is a destructive direction that you're starting to head down. So please don't do that. Uh, here's, here's what he says in verse 17. Take a look at it. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and 
lose your own what? Stability. Do not lose your own stability. You need stability. Mercy Hill Church, we need stability. Okay. In order for us, Mercy Hill Church, to grow in our spiritual stability, we've got to stay true to the Bible. That's really what we learn from this. This is the message that Peter says. We've got to stay true to what the Bible clearly says. We've got to work hard at staying devoted to what the Bible says, taking a high view of Scripture. If you take a high view of Scripture, that means you submit to it. It means that God and what He says is is instructive to you, is authoritative to you, if you take a low view of Scripture, it's almost like you're standing on the Bible. And that's never a good thing, that you're in charge of what the Bible says, all right? And so we must stay true to what the Bible says. We need to devote ourselves to getting our spiritual nutrition from the Bible. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, which was which is where the Bible came from. And so our spiritual stability, you see, personally and as a church family, is dependent on us taking a high submissive view of the Bible and ingesting it regularly. You know, in recent weeks, I've, I've been tempted to bring up this former pastor, and some of you have talked to me about this guy, and you may be aware of, of Josh Harris. Joshua Harris wrote a book called um, what did he say? Uh, I kissed dating goodbye. There it is. I kissed dating goodbye. Wrote it in 1999. He was 21 years old, and it was all about you know courtship instead of dating and, and all this kind of thing. And basically, parents everywhere in the evangelical church were saying to their kids, "Read this book. Read. Don't date anybody. Just court them and all that kind of thing." It became basically it sold many thousands of copies, and in short, what it then led to, or seems to have led to was Josh Harris becoming a pastor of a megachurch. You know, if he can write a book that goes, becomes a bestseller, well, then he must be a great choice for a, a pastor of, of this massive two, 3,000-person church in the States. Now, here's the problem. So that he, he became this pastor of a megachurch at age 28, but then a scandal, kind of a thing left over by the previous pastor, started to come, basically become revealed to the church family and it was ugly, and it, it caused things to kind of blow up in the church. And so just 11 or 12 years after he became the senior pastor of his church, uh, Harris resigns. He just can't take it anymore. And he actually moves to Vancouver, going to Regent College. And it ends up being the first theological training he had ever received. And this is a guy who was a very good preacher and was very biblical and very solid previous to that. And so he moves here, goes to Regent. This is like 2014-ish. Now, just a few weeks ago, uh, Harris announces on Instagram that he and his wife are they're splitting up and uh, they're going to divorce. And th- there wasn't any real reason given with that initial uh, Instagram post. But then the following week, I think people were like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Well, the following week, there's another Instagram post. And he then announces he's no longer a Christian. He's not, no longer not just a pastor. He's... He's, he's no longer a Christian by any definition that he was aware of at that time. And then not long after that, the guy's marching in a certain parade. Okay? And, and this is all over Instagram. So now I'm hesitant. You know, I, I know how difficult sometimes being a pastor can be. And I, I honestly want to be the last per- I don't want to be the person to cast judgment and say, 
you know, just get really angry and stuff and, and you know, message something back really nasty. Um, so I'm hesitant to do any of that, hesitant to cast judgment. Um, I don't know the ins and outs and the details, okay? But here's what I know. Here's what I know based on a pattern that I've seen not just in Harris's life, but in basically almost any pastor who leaves the faith or almost any Christian that leaves the faith, not in every case, but in many cases, what happens in their lives, well, very often what happens and what's happened in his life is that the instability starts to kick in. Things become very unstable. Very often the, the marriage doesn't last and the kids are caught in the crossfire. And then financially, oh, it's a disaster. And finance is often ruined. And so do you see? Do you see? Do you see how Scripture helps us remain stable, not just spiritually, but maritally? It's stability for our kids, stability for our, it's stability all around. I mean, this book that we submit to and take a high view of from God, it is there to help us, help us, stop us from blowing up our own lives. And it actually shows us the pathway, the roadmap to, to health and flourishing and joy. So he wrote this book for us to help us. That's how we have to view the Bible. And so the idea with Scripture is all of us are imperfect, or all of us are, yes, we're aiming for increased holiness in our lives. Yes, we fail. So yes, every day we repent of our sins. Yes, every day we come to Scripture to ingest it like food. You know? Uh, connect with Jesus we keep feasting on what the Bible says as we gather here. We feast on what the Bible says with our personal devotions. We, we feast on what the Bible says in our community group gatherings and studying the Bible together. And we help each other out. And we will grow in stability. Do we not all want more stability in our very uncertain, unstable world? Yes, we do. I need that. We, you need that. We need that. Let us grow in stability. The third way in which Peter instructs us to grow in is lastly in your notes to grow in grace to grow in grace we get this from verse 18 it says but grow in the grace there it is straight out of scripture don't you love a point that's just there it is grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity amen so we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of who of jesus what does jesus deserve all the credit. <laughs> it's all about him. He gets all the glory, all the credit for all the good things he's given us in our lives. Now, I want to drill down on this word grace. The word grace is really a remarkable word once you, you really examine it. it. It can be defined as unmerited favor. That should be defined, not defines. I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, grammar, a grammar police person. I don't know what I am. Anyway, I hate making mistakes up there. Grace can be defined as unmerited favor. So unearned gifts, undeserved gift. That's what grace is. And so when it comes to Jesus, you and I do not deserve heaven. We don't deserve new heavens, new earth with God forevermore. We don't deserve salvation. All we deserve is hell, actually, God's judgment. But because of Jesus, I'm alive. Remember that song? Because of Jesus, I'm alive. We don't deserve to be alive. We don't deserve His forgiveness. Uh, we don't deserve to be adopted, brought into the family of God forevermore. We don't deserve, deserve to be taken into heaven. We don't deserve any of these things. We don't deserve His Holy Spirit who lives within us to change us. And, and, and that's amazing. That's grace. That's unmerited favor, undeserved gift. 
And if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which is one of my favorite verses, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, not my doing, not your doing. Rather, it's the gift of God. It's all Him. That's why He gets all the glory. But let me ask you this. Isn't grace God's unmerited favor? Maybe you think, oh, it's only something that you get when you're first converted and become a Christian. Something on the front end of the Christian life is that where grace really keys in and factors in? If that's what you're saying, you would be wrong. Grace is much more comprehensive than that. And I like how David Guzik explains grace. He says, Grace is not merely the way God draws us to him in the beginning. It is, that's your conversion. It is also the way we grow and stay in our steadfastness. So think daily grace. We can never grow apart from the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, and we never grow out of the Lord's grace. And so, yes, we're saved by grace, but we are also changed by grace. We are saved by grace, but changed by daily grace that we receive from God. And by the way, God's grace is a giant category. It includes all of the good things He gives us, all the, all the blessings that He gives us, all the power that He gives us to live the Christian life, so His Spirit is the Spirit of grace. And so what you and I need, what you and I must have in order to grow is this daily transforming grace that He pours out on us and that He provides to us through our trust in Jesus. I want one more uh, word picture to offer you. And this only go, works to a point, but I'll just try it. The word picture is that of you swimming in a giant, freshwater, very pure water, clean water lake. Maybe Alouette Lake would be a lake kind of like that, but even bigger. You see, this lake is so big, you can't even see the shoreline. Don't worry. You're wearing a PDF, okay, as they used to call them, PDFs, I think. Not, P P not PFD, not PDFs, okay. But uh, personal flotation device or life jacket. Um, and so you're floating. So you don't have to, to work too hard as you're in this vast very pure water lake, okay? And so this vast lake of pure, pristine water, you know what it re represents? What does it represent? It represents the grace of Jesus is the water. The grace of God, His transforming grace, His saving grace. And so there's no shoreline. You can't see the shore. There's no shoreline to His grace. There's no bottom to His grace. There's no deeper lake in which you could swim than the lake of His grace. And so for you to remain spiritually hydrated and alive and to thrive is for you to what? you got to drink the water when you're floating along there, if you will. See what I mean? It only goes so far. But you got to keep drinking that pure, pristine water of His grace for you to be continually changing into the image of Jesus, continually being transformed by that grace. And so you got to keep on drinking. That sounds bad. Keep on drinking His grace, okay? Day in, day out, moment by moment, you keep on drinking in the grace so that you are refreshed by His grace, so that you are transformed by His grace, so that you receive the daily joy that you need to just get through the day. And the wonderful thing is, there is no limit to His grace for you to the supply of grace that he's given you personally and also to our church family. So we've got to keep on drinking it in every minute 
of every day. Are you relying on his grace today? Are you relying on his grace to change you today? Are we relying on his grace to be changed as a church, to be empowered for the mission of Christ? We must rely on his transforming daily grace. Let me bring it in as a conclusion now. To close, let me challenge you, Mercy Hill Church, by saying, grow in diligence, grow in stability, and grow in grace. Would you pray with me? Lord, I love the Bible. I love this basic, straightforward teaching that shows us the way to true transformation by your grace, by trust in Christ. And we need your grace. Help us to drink it in. Show us how we, we got it. It's just right there. It's just right there for the taking. And, and if we would just draw near to you individually, if we just draw near to you as a church family, that you would just give us this necessary, daily, never-ending supply of, of grace and power to be changed into your image and to reflect your character in our very dark and lost world. Lord, use us as a church family to live as missionaries, to, to show off the grace that you are manifesting in us by your Spirit. So use us to help people see the goodness of God, the love of God, the greatness of God, that they would then turn to you as well. Lord Jesus, we would have none of this grace without your gospel. So we come to remember you with this memorial meal of the Lord's Supper, to remember your broken body for us, to remember your shed blood on the cross for our sins. We owe you everything for earning salvation for us. And so help us to respond to you with self-examination, with repentance of our sins, and bringing them back to the cross to receive your ongoing grace and mercy today. Through Christ we pray. Amen.